everyone. Welcome to the Founders Foyer with me, Ashwarya. This foyer is full of conversations, the place where creators, founders, and builders can look for all the concepts and inspiration to grow their ideas into products. Building and shipping impactful products is definitely the enjoyable part of every product manager's journey. It's even fun to think about what problems to work on, uh, putting on the founder's mindset uh, from time to then, and then we also work with fellow co-founders on the team. Of course, there are so many challenges, and as somebody who does this uh, on my day job, I can't agree enough. So why don't we bring up here along and chat about all things, building products, navigating ideas, and understanding this PM journey. Joining me today is Shirishi, product manager at LinkedIn. She's also co-founded the PM Learning Series, wherein she chats with leaders across the globe to share insights for leveling up product career. She's a passionate creator, and she just also launched a course on productivity for product managers. Hey, Shiri, thank you so much for being here on the Founders for you. Thank you for having me. It's my honor to be here. Awesome. So, uh, you know, let's start with uh, your journey into product. How, how was your entry and what brought you here and uh, how has this journey been uh, so long for you? Yeah, um, it's funny because um, I am not, I would say I'm not the lucky ones who get into product uh, as their first job uh, from undergrad, right? I'm more like, I guess, majority of product managers in the world where I stumble across uh, product as a career. Uh, so I started my journey working in actually investment banking as a summer intern, uh, realized that it takes a certain personality to succeed in finance, uh, such as like being really greedy for money, like you just really good at, at you know, at understanding the money mechanism. And I study finance actually back in my undergrad, but I realized that I want to use my skill set in a more comprehensive manner. Um, and I, I love consulting or understanding the business strategy and every components of it. So I decided to go into consulting. Uh, I'm working mostly uh, in the IT transformation and digital strategy space. Uh, mm -hmm. So I serve over... I would say six clients over the course of like um, three to four years. Um, and that gives me a lot of uh, just like variety of works, even, you know, in operational digital strategy, uh, IT transformation capacity. And then um, I went to business school to sort of explore what comes next. Um, and I discovered that, you know, uh, being able to map out customer journey and working on digital projects was very excited. Uh, at the time, I did loosely consider about product management, but I think two mistakes that I made, I think a lot of early, um, you know, career uh, professionals would probably make. One was that I didn't have a computer science degree. So I talked myself, talked to myself thinking that, hey, maybe I won't be a good fit for product because, you know, what if I can work effectively with engineers? So I kind of like, I guess the imposter syndrome makes me question my choice. Uh, and then the second thing was, I also didn't do enough coffee chat at the time. So I kind of have this like preconceived notion of what product managers do. And I talked to a few of them. They told me like they designed this button in this flow. And I was like, wow, back in strategy days, I can map out the entire, you know, user journey. So I was like, maybe I am better off, you know, creating PowerPoints, which I was really, really good at. Um, so that's when I actually talked myself down for the first time to pursue a career in product. So I went back to consulting, did that for a few more years. And I, I, I start to realize, man, I really, really drawn to being hands-on, solving problem, talking to users. 
at that point, I gained a lot more confidence working with engineers. Uh, so that was back in 2018, uh, 2027, actually, 27, um, 2017. And what happened was uh, I started interviewing for product positions, but nobody wanted me for a product position because they're like, what have you shipped? You know, you are a consultant and MBAs like made it worse, right? You're just like, talk, talk, talk. Have you ever walked your talk, right? Like, uh, so I had a little bit of a identity crisis, I would say at that point, because I thought, man, I thought I had the product position and now nobody wants me as a product manager. Um, so after a lot of reflection, sort of, you know, networking and help, you know, figuring out where can I uniquely position myself, I eventually landed a role at LinkedIn uh, to help our sales reps, uh, building out uh, internal sales tools. So think of it as like, almost like an internal consultant trying to champion digital transformation using technology. So it is played to my strength and the team understand the value a consultant brings, right? So they embrace that. And then that's my, I guess, like entry to tech. Um, and through that role, I got opportunities to work with engineers and designers on my team uh, over the course of two years through just countless, you know, networking and, you know, talking to people. I finally transitioned internally into our LinkedIn learning product team uh, and have really, really enjoyed the work since. Wow, that's like a connecting so many dots. And what I really enjoyed about you know, this story is how you sort of embrace, like you mentioned, you know, uh, you, you sort of understood, okay, this is where I am, this is where I want to go. And these are some of the mistakes I made. And reflecting back, I think uh, these two mistakes are uh, something very, very common. A lot of us do make. We uh, talk ourselves out of, uh, you know, stepping up and taking that first action when it comes to, uh, wanting to be a product manager or at least understanding why um, our um, interests go towards the product lane. And uh, two definitely is uh, we often have this fear of networking, which you rightly pointed out is, you know, we don't we don't often talk to folks around us. We uh, have assumptions and we sort of clarify them ourselves and say, OK, yeah, I don't think I'm, I'm just going to go and do this. So um, thanks a lot for bringing uh, those. And I'm glad that you finally found an entry into the product space because um, we have so many amazing things to talk about it. So let's let's probably go <laughs> one by one. Um, yeah, I think the other thing that, um, you know, I'm very curious about is uh, how you've had a non-genial career yourself, right? Like working through different domains like uh, strategy followed by consulting, uh, where again, you get to work with clients, but uh, it's definitely much different from uh, working with customers day in, day out and working with uh, engineering and, and um, uh, design teams as on the product side. So. Do you see anything special that's helped you shape your career uh, apart from the peaceful uh, factor here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I really like the saying that Steve Jobs usually said, um, you only connect the dots when you look backwards, not forwards. So a lot of the, the career that comes to this point made me feel like, okay, what kind of product manager or more broadly, what kind of professionals or person that those experience have shaped me? I think a couple of things. First, um, being in a client service industry like consulting or even investment banking, we're constantly working with like what we call client, which is different mm. from like an end user or customer in the sense of a, uh, you know, an enterprise like a like a like a product. Maybe more like an and like a buyer in a B two B products, right? I think what you learn is that you learn to manage the stakeholder really well, right? Like you try to hear their requests, but then 
learn how to smartly challenge them because at the end of the day, they're the one who's paying the checks. So how do you manage them? Uh, so communicate, very concise communication, uh, bringing, you know, I, I would always say that my superpower is bringing clarity to chaos. So through very clear communicate comms and through, you know, breaking down the problem. Uh, and I think so stakeholder management is one communication is another one. I think another strength that consulting have really taught me is really using number driven approach and being very analytical. Mm -hmm. And that's also part of the reason how I can bring clarity, uh, clarity to chaos. And one thing that I learned, again, coming back to, I told you, I was really proud of that, my ability to make uh, amazing slice. Uh, which is visualization. So when a concept is very complex, I am a big visual learner. So how do I break mm -hmm. down complex components and like really simplify it? I think that is really powerful, especially when you're talking with say engineers or sometimes even designers, right? There's only mm -hmm. so much Cambridge can do when you try to explain your concept. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of us might have seen that means of like, uh, you know, this is what product manager described the feature and then what engineer yeah. and then eventually with a client get and like how, how much disconnect that there is. So I think visual thinking is definitely another thing that brought to me. And then because of the right variety of all the consulting engagement, I think I had to be like a super fast learner, always mm. embrace, you know, sort of open mindset, like to learn um, and to challenge your assumption. I think that's also a good trait for product managers who try to build empathy and, you know, you're always trying to absorb different market information. Um, so I think those are some of the key traits that have helped me. Um, mm -hmm. It's definitely been like, you know, a, a journey that you try to explore where you like, right? Sometimes yeah. you never know until you you try it. Um, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, totally with you on uh, this because... It's it's a fun ride, like you said. Um, it's it's uh, connecting dots backwards when you look back and think, oh, you know, I've been able to work on these, and this is how it, it's helped me shape uh, the pattern for uh, different uh, learning inputs that I have. And um, often people just say, you know, these are like soft skills, but uh, I'm this person who who really believes that it it takes those so-called soft skills to to become uh, the best product manager, like to understand the art behind how to work with people because a lot of this is uh, working with people like you said working with different sets of people it's either customers or uh, it's internal teams where you work with uh, uh, fellow designers fellow engineers and uh, uh, I loved when you said words can only take you you know to to a certain extent because often what we think is is not how we translate rather like I think we think we translate it well but uh, often there's like a, a, a whole totally bridge that can come in between what we think and, <laughs> and what gets conveyed. So um, uh, I'm curious, you mentioned about, uh, you know, visual thinking, because I'm a huge uh, believer of uh, breaking things down visually and as much as possible, you know, people call, uh, call it as PRDs. I, I would even say, uh, you know, let's let's not call them docs or PRDs. Let's just go get visual, get down to stuff, do something visually and then show it to uh, your designers and engineers. So um, curious on uh, the visual part. Do you like use any tools? Uh, uh, what's what's your go-to technique when it comes to let's say breaking things down visually? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think <clears throat> my first advice is always start with just the basics, right? Paper and pen. Um, so I like to just use white paper and scratch things out. One thing I learned that helps spikes the creativity is to go to a place that you don't normally go. So not your normal mm -hmm. work desk. Go to like a cafe or somewhere. 
And then just give yourself like 20 to 30 minutes to like kind of just pour down everything you have, like whether it's words, don't, don't worry about the visual aspect, but once you put like the different thoughts out, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I can visualize it this way. Maybe I can do it that mm. way. Uh, so that's my first step. And then when it comes to tools, I like to use Miro. Um, I, I, don't, I know a lot of folks use either Figma, Jan, but I started with Miro and it's super simple. You can take a lot of screenshot, highlight stuff. So I, I just start using that. And then uh, we do a lot of team brainstorming uh, on Miro or I, I share concept on Miro as well. Um, so yeah, so usually I think what I do is that I <clears throat> take screenshots of like apps that I, I, I study and highlight, oh, I like this feature, I like that. And then, then I will be thinking about, well, what is the intent of that feature, right? What are they mm -hmm. trying to do? Um, does that match what I'm, I'm trying to do for my product? Um, and then sometimes when it comes to, you know, engineering situation, it's really ally and thinking through what are the edge cases and what's the mainstream, right? It's helping the team shaping out, like, oh, how do I organize my thoughts? So like figure out all this different situation and how do they interact with each other? So it's much more like a system thinking of like, mm. here's other different components and how they interact. Uh, mm. It's very much a work in progress, right? Like you want people's feedback, challenge how you see things. Uh, but yeah, visual thinking has always, always helped me. And I, I always start just the, the most basic part, just paper yeah. and pencil and paper. Yeah. 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 No, I think it sounds like, um, uh, not just obsessed about structure or, uh, obsessed about, uh, so this, at the starting, but like you said, get back to the basics though, uh, paper pen and start with, uh, the problem at hand. And, and then, like you said, go about finding a way to connect the dots. So, um, yeah. That makes sense. So um, we've discussed a lot around um, your recent role at LinkedIn Learning and also uh, around uh, the the PM stuff. So let's go, you know, one by one. Let's first um, start to talk about the LinkedIn Learning because you're helping so many people um, learn and master new skills by working on a product that helps them. So what's challenging about uh, working on something that is so much career based and um, it's it's so ever changing right this concept of ed tech this whole vertical is so dynamic so uh what's the challenging part about working in it yeah that's a good question um and it's funny because i think depending on so i work on enterprise education space right so if you talk about i think k through 12 um the challenge might be slightly different but most of them are applicable, I think, to both space. Um, so in the adult learning space, I think first, um, you know, the job to be done, like you said, is way more complex than a a more commodity product. Like, for example, Uber or Insta, you can endless optimize every friction in that flow and map out the customer journey and just like keep optimizing in every circumstances, pick you up on the airport. How do we select where you will to, you want to pick up? Like, no cash, cash free transaction and all of that stuff, right? But for learning or career development, first you have to motivate people to learn. Learning mm -hmm. is actually hard right? for a lot of people. It, it might get, it can be boring. It requires dedication. It requires a lot of motivation. So that's really hard to do. And then learning is just part of it. It doesn't does not translate directly to like, oh, you're gonna get a job or you're gonna get a mm -hmm. good grade gonna get promoted so it, it could be a long journey and so from the action to the outcome just like you go to workout right like it's yeah. almost like a lifetime pursuit whether you like it or not right like you you can't say it's very internally driven as well yeah you're, yeah you're gonna build that 
pack overnight. That's not going to happen. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so a job to be done is way more complex than if you just take a ride and feel delightful right away. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that is challenge, both challenging and exciting because there's a lot of user psychology you could use gamification potentially. Um, and yeah, just that's an interesting space, but also super challenging. That's one. I think the second space is that there's a lot of players in, in you know, in, mm-hmm. in the space, meaning not so much of the competition, that too, but more like the number of users that you're serving, right? The stakeholders that you need to deal with. So in the enterprise space, you have people who are the employees who are taking the learning lesson. You have the manager who might be curious to learn about their team's overall, you know, learning and development. You have mm-hmm. the buyers who's uh, actually paying to buy the software or the, you know, the license. Um, So you have like three different people all probably have different, you know, views or goals uh, for themselves. Uh, There could be, could be conflicts there. And who do you listen to? How do you balance? And then, um, you know, similarly, if it's in a school environment for K through 12, you can think of school administrator might have some requirement that comes from, you know, the government, um, and then you have a parents, teacher, the children themselves, yeah. maybe use software. So they, there's a lot of um, things that you need to make trade-off decisions and prioritization uh, and then without overcomplicating the product. Um, mm. Last but not least, I would say as much as, you know, we like to build a product, content is part of the product experience as well. Just like when you watch Netflix, no matter how good Netflix recommend you stuff, if the show itself is not great, then you probably won't find a lot of, you know, enjoyment from, from using the product, right? So I think what's unique about being an ad tag is how, you know, it's not a, like content is part of the product experience. Mm-hmm. And then so you need to think through what kind of content we want to deliver, um, especially in the past few years, I think there's there has been a lot of change in the content space, right? From more deep learning to like more hands-on, doing a lot of like practice coding in a sandbox environment, for example. Or if you want to learn data analytics, you need to, you know, actually open Excel or Tableau and actually learn how to how to practice, you know, with groups. And um, and then also a lot of things have gone into TikTok style, right? Bi-sized <laughs> learning interesting entertainment part of learning so a lot of that um a lot of changes and how how do you maintain your brand right like do you focus on one type or do you diversify where do you go where do all the balance uh which one do you go after first that will have the biggest leverage so there's a lot of interesting and challenging questions that you know one can ask in this space yeah definitely i think whatever you mentioned as much as the challenging each of those sounds super exciting because there's like a whole path that you know we can go down uh, each of those questions uh, especially to me i think when i kept hearing this uh, it's th- this space is very um, uh, you know commitment oriented right because uh, like you said you work with enterprise companies and uh, this product functions a lot around how much committed people are when it comes to uh, learning every day and and putting their effort into learning and it's it's a space that's uh, not very definitive. Uh, like you said, it's it could be um, a lot of hazy, uh, you know, ends uh, everywhere. And how how as PMs you connect the uh, pictures together, and how they are able to they as users on their end are able to receive it uh, again is 
it's, it's very different. So uh, that by itself sounds uh, super exciting to me, as you uh, kept mentioning, you know, like uh, so much to solve for. And um, uh, I think you brought in a very important point, uh, uh, which is a lot around the target personas. Uh, for a lot of these B2B products, uh, personas are like you have a bunch of them. You could target like administrators who who end up paying for it, whereas they don't know any intricacies about the product. It's the, uh, you know, like folks uh, on the teams who will be using this product. So it's like you have to cater the product them to to know how to use it whereas uh, the payment stuff should go to another persona that ends up paying you for the product so uh, that's that sounds like another interesting uh, you know like challenge to solve for definitely a lot of challenge and people like you said level of commitment could change right let's say today we have a top economic environment a lot of people might get layoff and their motivation mm. to learn is very strong because they need yes a job pretty soon and they need to demonstrate that they have those skills. So you're looking at a timeline of three to six months, right? People might be looking for a job. But uh, once you get a job, for example, maybe the first months you're very motivated to learn because you wanted to get like first 90 day, you know, give some quick wins. But after that, then it sort of transition from this like painkiller product to more like a vitamin candy nice to have you know <laughs> products yeah. right like yeah people yeah. are like yeah i knew i need to learn but how many times <laughs> that you actually learn or maybe you started the journey and then you couldn't motivate yourself enough to complete because there's so True. much going on in life um yeah needs prioritization yeah. yeah yeah for sure and learning is getting super collaborative uh tiktok videos was one of uh, the great examples that uh, you brought with where um, learning is very peer driven as well like understanding uh what uh, my friends are doing and it's like hey i think uh, you know i saw this at their place and it looks super interesting let me also learn the skill and uh, the attention span uh, is is definitely less as uh, you know like when compared to learning something as a whole module versus uh, breaking it down and um, uh, with a lot of gamification i think uh, i i can truly bring duolingo comes to me as an example in mind when thinking about how to gamify the whole uh, learning uh, mm-hmm. process so uh, I think, yeah, the space um, uh, as a whole is definitely explorative and so much potential to uh, to solve for as uh, being PMs on the space. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So um, now, you know, going over to um, one of the other important questions about product management that I wanted to ask you, uh, which is many early stage builders and founders themselves start as PMs, you know, where... Um, uh, they start thinking about the problems to solve and like we were just uh, discussing about the different paths to explore and then see which one uh, would be more profitable at the time being and then solve for it and shift things. From your experiences, uh, what would you call as the first three things, let's say, uh, somebody should focus on as they just start this PM journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, especially as founders in early startups, I, the first thing that you should figure out is absolutely bottom market fit, right? Uh, I know a lot of people talk about that, but uh, what I really mean by that, I think, are two aspects. One is, how do you frame your product uh, problems uh, space? I think a lot of us tend to be very overly narrowly thinking about the problem that we're solving, and we're mm. almost fell in love with the solution so that we think about validating it, think about driving growth to that solution without really validating, is the problem we're solving? Like, is it big enough a space that you as the company can uniquely position to solve it um, mm. and, and you know, what solution you can. And so I think figuring out that is 
absolutely number one priority. Um, and there's a lot of literature written about how do you measure it, how do you figure it out. I think the Lean Product Playbook is one good uh, resource to find that. And I would say one example that stuck with me quite a bit uh, recently was so when um, the importance of framing problems uh, space, right? So think about Disney uh, a couple of years ago, you know, what would be the complaint during like summer seasons? It would be the right time, wait time for a ride is way too long, right? Um, if that's how you frame the problem, then what is going to be your immediate solution? You're going to want to create more rights, increase the capacity of the park, build more park. Um, and guess what the result ends be? Like you're going to spend a lot of money buying yeah. a lot of and when it comes to winter, one of the other times when there's like down season, you're going to have a lot of empty, empty space, right? Like utilization is going to go down. So what they did instead is reframe the question from like the wait time is too long to the wait time is too annoying. So how can I make the wait time less annoying? So then they create things like parades, maybe build yeah. more food stands so that, yes, you still have to wait to three hours for some right popular rights but hey in the meantime you have some other stuff to do that kind of distracted your attention right the fast pass and things like that so it opens up the space for a lot more solution so mm. that's i think one great example to kind of illustrate the point of like hey yeah. you should um, you should think about you know what exactly is the right problem to solve and frame it in such way that opens up non-obvious solution um and make it you know, broader and more, with more opportunity and rooms to solve and to grow. So that's number one, how you frame like, you know, the problem space and find product market fit. I think the other things that, you know, founders need to do is just being able to get really close to your user and be open-minded. I think it's all related to finding product market fit as well. But how can you, I guess, like flex your communication skills as, as you pitch your idea, when you talk to an investor, it's going to be different from when you talk to an end user. How can you, you know, learn how to do that and like keep an open mindset. Um, you also have to be pretty well-rounded, right? Like when you talk to an immense investor to get funding, it's going to be a different pitch. You need to understand the VC sort of uh, environment versus how you actually interview a user and not, you know, uh, try to, you know, ask leading questions. So having yeah. a well-rounded set and being open-minded, I think being curious and open-minded is the first step to, to be able mm -hmm. to learn so many things so quickly. Um, last but not least, I think is this notion of like, how do you find leverage? I think earlier in my career, um, I tend to like focus on the execution. Oh, when I have an idea, I, I would immediately jump onto like, okay, how do I, how do I do it? How do I execute here? especially in the startup environment, I think there's a lot of trade-off you need to make. And I would strongly encourage people to think about, can you, how can you think smart that you such that you validate whether your idea is good or not in the shortest period of time and then embrace this kind of optimizing ROI, um, you know, while balancing like long-term shortened thinking. Um, so what are the, the quickest things you can try to validate your assumption, right? What are the things you can build that will give you the highest leverage, the, the biggest return uh, versus just anything you can do? So a sense of prioritization, I think, is is auto, yeah. auto But not just prioritizing, but also with the, the, the whole situation. Yes, 
like how can I validate that it's working mm -hmm. in the, the fastest path, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that sounds great. So reframing the questions spot on a Disney example. Another example that comes to my mind is uh, the the lift one where they say uh, if there are more people waiting uh, for taking their elevator, like do you build more elevators or do you put a mirror right there? So, you know, people yeah. don't it's find the wait yeah. time annoying. So uh, I think reframing the question is uh, such an important point because most often as PMs, uh, I've done this mistake as well, where uh, we often jump into solutions. We're like, uh, hey, I think uh, I know what this problem is. So let me just go into solutioning. But often when we think about it, it wouldn't have been the right problem in the first place. So um, uh, that's such a solid point to think about. And uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, over to the de-risking point as well that you mentioned, uh, how do I know something of this is worth to work on uh, in the less time that, that I have in hand? So um, yeah, uh, both of these, I think, uh, really make sense. And uh, yeah, thanks for mentioning it, mm -hmm. Awesome. So um, now I think we've discussed a lot around um, the, the PM aspects of it. So um, over to uh, the creator side of Shivi. So, you know, let's start talking about uh, your uh, the PM learning series. You know, where um, you talk to a lot of uh, uh, people on your series, like a lot of founders, a lot of uh, product leaders, especially. So, uh, you know, from those experiences, uh, what, what what do you want to tell people about it? Like, what, what's something that you've picked up uh, by running the series? Yeah, definitely. I think I really enjoy the series, to be honest. I, I definitely want to continue to do it as much as I can. I think it's a part is what I'm passionate about, spreading knowledge and using this kind of interview format to bring it out. And I love our live series where I can involve audience as well. People can ask questions. I can try to feature their comments. So I, I, I really enjoy that. Um, I think to me, some of the things that I really like was first, just learning from the best minds, right? So each episode has so like a slightly different focus. Uh, and then someone's like people are known for different things, right? Like Sachin is is very much really good at zero to one product. So let's ask him about how he defined that and drive strategy around it. Uh, Nir Yell is very good in, um, you know, understanding the, how to build habits, forming product, as well as how to be focused, right? Like, like avoid distraction. So then a lot of those are very critical to both PM, actually people who work closely with PM. So mm -hmm. um, I like to think of it more like, I'm learning from all these masterminds and I like to like condense it and bring it into a newsletter. And I was really grateful for people who are willing to reach out and help me to write some of those newsletters as part of their learning journey as well. So I like love to build sort of a community around it. Uh, I think there's there's definitely more room to continue to grow that series and like involve the community. I think some top learnings, um, one is just talk like, I, I guess like, how do you, a lot of people ask me, how do you start it, right? Like, how do you, how do you get the show going? I think there, there are a couple, couple things, couple techniques, I guess. One is um, you can start small. So before I launched the PM Learning Series, actually back in March, uh, so I launched it in, at the end of May this year, uh, back in March, we started a smaller series called the Career Chats. Um, mm -hmm. And I reached out to some of my the creators that I know, um, or directly leaders within LinkedIn, right? The company. So people that I feel more comfortable talking to. So I started there to see, hey, will I be a good host? Will I be comfortable in front of camera and you know asking questions? Will I 
be it feel nervous or natural talking to a leader, you know, could be miles ahead of like leagues ahead of me, right? In terms of title and seniority. Yeah. And so that was one practice, right? You start small and then you build up your confidence to eventually, you know, mm. working for more, uh, more, more leaders. So that's, you know, number one for anyone who is thinking about, hey, I want to try something like that. I think just try it with like almost like a peer leader or like slightly higher that you're 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 comfortable talking to, and then just see if if you know if you like that. And then there's multiple. Second thing I would say there's different type of formats too, right? There's the mm-hmm. um, recording type of podcasts where you don't involve live audience. I like to do the live audience one because I feel like I can in, in, engage the community. There's audio events, right? On Clubhouse, recently LinkedIn launched audio events. So it is different vibe altogether. Um, so you can like test and practice and see which, um, you know, always start small to gain some experience. I think last but not least is when, you, when you're ready to launch, uh, the lessons I learned was because I work in like AI machine learning for my product, um, you know, on LinkedIn learning. So in, in any type of algorithm, you always have a co-star problem. Meaning when you mm-hmm. first start out, nobody knows about you. Or if you search for something, let's say we have new content. How do we know if that new content is good, right? So you have a co-star problem, right? Like, and it's the chicken and egg. Like, hey, if you, it's, you're new, like nobody knows about you, then, you know, well, why should people trust you? So the way how I overcame it is to get like an exact sponsor, let's say for the sh- show back within the company, hmm. such that I can tap into that person's network um, to find you know, prominent guests that will potentially elevate the show. So I think that was the secret, I guess, not so much secret anymore uh, to be able to identify like good guests, even when you are only starting um, to have have the show, right? So, but once you have, let's say the first set of guests, they're really strong, then it's much easier for you to Mm -hmm. ask a variety of people to join. But I do want it to shape the show such that you know, it's not just all top leaders, but also bringing everyday creators who have an interesting perspective to share. So um, I think one, yeah, once you figure out and overcome the fear of hosting a show, then the next question you should ask yourself is what kind of show, like what kind of vibe mm-hmm. do you want to create, right? For me is to maximize the learning value, um, you know, from a particular leader. So I do tend to focus on areas that they're very strong at, coupled with a little bit of career lesson and career chat. Mm-hmm you know, resources that we can share. Um, obviously, 30 minutes is actually a really short time. But again, people are very limited attention spent. So we, we learned that the secret is to have 30 minutes and potentially overrun it a little bit if needed. Yeah. Um, and, and and then so I'm, I'm continuing to iterate as well, like what kind of question I ask, how do I want to inv- engage with the audience? Um, and yeah, so those are some of the questions. Once you start, you'll start to ask. You're like the product manager of your your show, right? <laughs> I think it's known as like a producer, right? The producer of the show. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I think totally relatable because um, uh, these are some of the things that uh, I do on the founders for you as well. So like you said, it's, it's so much learning each day, uh, trying to start small, trying to understand, uh, you know, like first of all, let go of the fear of, even being on the video, like let let go of the fact that you're just starting only now taking baby steps, but uh, trying to, you know, like have uh, somebody to support you, like a peer group to to talk it out and, and try and understand uh, how best you navigate. I think those are like uh, very, very actionable steps that you mentioned. And I'm glad that the listeners listening to 
this day uh, would would also like uh, you know creators who are thinking about working on their projects would take more inspiration from this. So, uh, you know, I would I, I would tie in what you said with the other point that you made for the previous question, which is uh, knowing uh, what kind of things to talk to different stakeholders. I think for you, talking to different creators, um, these product leaders from across, it gives you that uh, that tone, the language, and, and sort of understand what should you ask each person when it comes to very specific experiences, uh, very specific things that they're good at. And uh, that, that I think, would tie in with uh, framing great questions for you, uh, which is going to differ for each person on the show, right? So I think uh, I, I would connect that with, with what you just said now as for this uh, uh, point of view. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Doing lots of research too, like listening to their past interviews a lot of those would probably have spoken somewhere mm -hmm. um, and then just study their LinkedIn profile thinking through based on their experience as a learner what would I most want to learn right mm -hmm. um, so. yeah yeah totally so um now that we're talking about uh, a lot of your creative pursuits uh one of the other things that I want to ask you is uh when it comes to personal frameworks or methods about um uh, managing your time because you know i know you write about uh product management on linkedin every day you conduct these site events with people and you also have a day-to-day -day pm job and how do you draw like a line and say uh you know like i have time for this over here and uh, i can also like uh, manage a lot of my other personal stuff over here what's your productivity method like yeah there's so many actually uh let me just do down to like the top i guess three or five First, always start with setting your intention, right? Um, you know, I don't do everything, actually. I'm most active on LinkedIn, but I probably should have a presence on Twitter. It's a matter of copy and pasting my content there or uploading my, my videos onto YouTube, but I haven't done that. So that means I, I'm not perfect either. I'm not getting everything done that I want. So by setting your intention of like, what mm. is your big rocks of the day? It's very important. In my course, I had this like visual, again, talking, giving back to visual thinking, right? You have two mason jars where if you put a lot of sands first, you know, into your mason jar, let's say those are the little things that you need to do. And then then you don't have room to actually pick the big rocks or the pebbles who are a little bigger than the sands. But if you prioritize putting your big rocks and the pebbles first, um, then the little sands will find their way through the maple jar. And so the analogy here, I think, is that if you focus on the big rocks, even if some people say, hey, I need to get some small things done first before mm -hmm. I can am up my motivation for the day, that works too. But my point is you always know, okay, here are the three things I need to complete for today and be very clear about it. Anything, if you can complete beyond that, that's great. So that's number one is like, you know, intention setting. I think at, the, at a daily level, uh, I, I do weekly and stuff like that too. And then the second thing I would say is in the moment intention resets. That's very important too, because sometimes when there's a lot of things going on, your, your to-do list is like kind of like messy. I tend to do two things. One is just write everything down, right? In your to-do list, have this like, I call it an inbox where you just, everything you need to do, but so that it's off your mind, you will prioritize eventually where that, that task goes to, right? But having this peace of mind of like, I'm not going to forget it but I'm not going to also do it either. So, mm -hmm. but I, I have that list. So having this permanent home, uh, you know, this repository of things that you need to think about 
And then you can prioritize it over time. Some of them might seem very urgent, very important at the time. And then after you noodle on it, marinate it for like a couple of hours, it might be like, wait a second. Again, back to that founder number three things, right? Is that the right prioritization? Is it going to get me the right leverage? Is the ROI big enough for me to actually do it? If not, then just ruthlessly eliminate, right? So, and the other thing I do is in the moment when things get crazy, I just kind of pause for like three minutes, do a deep dive, debrief, one, two, three, four, hold it for one, two, three, four, and then exhale, one, two, three, four. And I kind of repeated that four times. I call it the four X method because that really helps me to like, just like come down and like figure out, okay, you know, where am I, <laughs> you know, what do I need to do next? How can I channel my, my energy? Um, and then a couple other things are like, sometimes you can hack your motivation, um, which is, let's say you don't feel like you're very motivated to do something, then maybe, but you really need to do something. Maybe you just tell yourself to do it for two minutes, set a timer. And then once you get going, even Literally for like a minute and a half, you're like, man, I just like, you're so grumpy about this task. <laughs> but eventually when you do it for two or five minutes, you'll be like, man, you know, I'm the, the juice starts to flow. Then you, you will eventually get a little, little bit better. Um, so you can do like little things like that, or you can set up your work environment such that it's rewarding for you. So for example, whenever I need to write like a, like a creative project or big doc, uh, my reward to myself is usually like instrumental music playing in the background. I'm drinking my oats latte. So then I'm getting into this mindset of like, huh, I'm enjoying this like creative pursuit. So I set up my environment clean and tidy such that it feels like, you know, I'm doing something um, mm. and I'm ready to be productive. So you can, you can create those, design your environment such that it motivates you to do what you need to do. Uh, but yeah. setting intention and then being conscious about it, prioritization, very important. Yeah. So many good practices to follow. And I, what I really like about uh, all of these that, is that uh, they're all very easy to implement, right? It's not just about, uh, oh, there's this uh, uh, yam that that uh, I got you know, from Shivi, but then I don't think it's really going to help me because it's so difficult to start. I think that's not going to be the case here. All of these are pretty much implementable every little day. And uh, um, like when you work on your next project on um, this weekend, you can just strive on implementing some of this. And uh, I really like the hack yourself and do it because that's often what I do as well. I start every day. I'm like, okay, just one step to start. Let's just start it and then continue for like two, three minutes. And then like, let's just go with the flow. And often I've surprised myself by actually completing the things that I've kept on the way for such a long time, thinking that, you know, oh my God, those are like stuff that I don't want to do. So uh, yeah, totally actionable stuff. So uh, thank you so much for sharing, Shu. And uh, I think, yeah, uh, some of these uh, also not just um, needs to be done one-off, I guess, because all of these are like practices that you set for yourself. It's, uh, uh, I think the book is uh, Atomic Habits, so where uh, uh, some of these uh, little techniques in terms of like tricking yourself into uh, getting more productive every single day is, is what you need to do without just doing them one-off, but get it more like a practice. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, one last question before we uh, try to wrap up today's conversation is, I know how much you love, um, you know, curating and creating content and helping people out there with all the knowledge that you share. So I've also seen your public repository, by the way, which is like 
super specific, so many links. I'm going to put that into the description of the video as well. Uh, what do you look forward to uh, in the coming days uh, to create? And uh, do you have like new things to work on? Yeah, that's a great question. I always noodle on the ideas. I but then I would reprioritize it again. <laughs> so like, <laughs> is that is that the right leverage and ROI? Um, I think definitely continue to build PM learning series. Uh, potentially maybe organize some community meet up either virtually or outside to mm. learn more to hear people. I think that's very, very important. Uh, I would like to double down on that. Um, I'm also doing some research to help um, encourage more people to share stuff on LinkedIn. So I think that will keep me busy um, as I embark on this new journey. Uh, there are some other projects I've been thinking about, like, should I create a cohort course? Because Maven have reached out to me a few times. I've done it before that I enjoy or maybe start writing a book or something. But I think what I learned is that, um, you know, there's project that can keep me busy right now uh, and potentially give a short-term boost of gratification. Um, and I've done a number of those throughout my career. Um, but right now I really wanted to learn is to connect with the right people, with the right leader, mm. to continue to level up my product career, to perfect my craft. Um, through learning from all of this career, uh, th this great thought leader, as well as putting them into practice. I think I want to play the long game, meaning that in the near term, I'd, I, I try to minimize all this like smaller little projects that I can do here and there, but focus on the bigger project that I can do, let's say in, in three years or mm. something. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just like more and more moving into that long-term thinking game uh, versus like, oh, I can build a course on, I don't know, interviewing for PM or something. I have all the resource. I can very easily build mm -hmm. that up. Um, but I think I'm going to thinking more long-term of like, is does that lead to where I want to go in five to seven years? Because yeah. every project I say yes to now is going to mean something is going to have to be saying no. So I want to make sure I make the right prioritization. Uh, but again, I see building my career and building my audience, building my brand on LinkedIn, a long-term pursuit. Uh, so I didn't want to just, just looking at the near-term things that I could do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think it's, it's a very um, uh, interesting way to look at what do you want to work on currently, not just saying uh, yes for the momentary, uh, you know, time being uh, list of, of these projects, but uh, looking at the long-term and the long, the longer game, uh, like you said, um, Totally with you on that because I think somewhere uh, uh, a lot of things that we work on today uh, would uh, like connecting back the dots would tie into a lot of things that we said no to, which later on we would think like, oh, I wish I had done that. It's because we hastily said yes to a lot of things now. So um, uh, planning it out for the longer term is going to help us with the most stable way of looking at things and, and doing a lot of self-reflection on what really matters to us is definitely going to take us forward. So uh, that's a great way to look at it. And uh, all the best, Shivi. Uh, uh, I Thank think uh, I had so much fun talking to you today, uh, discussing all about the creator stuff, going deep into the edtech stuff, and also, uh, you know, like a PM to PM talk on uh, <laughs> what's really the craft like, uh, uh, what's the day-to-day -day, uh, stuff like, and uh, so many good things that we discussed today. So I hope the listeners also um, had a lot of takeaways from you and um I hope they would reach out to you if, if they have uh, more questions on uh, building their product journey. So yeah, thank you so much once again. Absolutely.
No, it's my pleasure to be here. I think you did a fantastic job uh, interviewing, asking really good question, offering your perspective as well. So I think listeners should learn a lot from you as well. Thank you. Thank you so much.